This program is brought to you by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. Today we're going to continue in our study in the book of Daniel. We began our study of the prophetical section of Daniel last time in chapter 7, and today we're going to continue by looking at chapter 8. In chapter 8, we're going to be looking at another vision that Daniel had. The vision of chapter 7 included four world empires, but the vision of chapter 8 includes only two of these. We get a closer look at the second and third world empires in chapter 8. Again, these visions are so remarkably accurate that critics claim that Daniel had to be written after the events occurred and not before. But such is the nature of prophecy. In Romans chapter 4, verse 17, Romans chapter 4, verse 17, it says, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. So God knows the future. He looks into the future, and he can say things about the future as if they had already happened, and that's what takes place there in Daniel chapters 7 through 12. One other item of interest. If you'll remember in our introductory lesson on the book of Daniel, the book is written in Hebrew from Daniel 1, 1 through chapter 2, verse 3, and then chapters 8 through 12. It is written in Aramaic in Daniel chapter 2, verse 4 through chapter 7, verse 28. It is believed that Hebrew is used because these chapters deal specifically with the Jewish nation and what will happen to it over about the next 600 years from the time that Daniel wrote. In Daniel 8 verse 1 we see the time of the vision. Daniel chapter 8 verse 1. It says in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar a vision appeared unto me, even unto Daniel, after that which appeared unto me at the first. The third year of the reign of King Belshazzar was 550 B.C. The place of the vision is given in chapter 8, verse 2. And I saw in a vision, and it came to pass when I saw that I was at Shushan in the palace which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was by the river Ulai. Daniel was not physically in Shushan, but he was there in his vision. Shushan is the capital of Persia. It is located in the province of Elam, which is in present-day Iran. The Ulai was a canal that connected the Kirka and Abdisful rivers just north of Susa, or Shushan, and it encircled the city, and it was about 900 feet across. 
So Daniel is seeing this vision in the capital there of Persia. Now the vision itself is given in verses 3 through 14. And then the interpretation of the vision is given in verses 15 through 26. So let's read the vision, verses 3 through 14, and then we will get to the interpretation of it. Daniel chapter 8, verses 3 through 14. Then I lifted up my eyes, and behold, there stood before the river a ram, which had two horns, and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher came up last. I saw the ram pushing westward, and northward, and southward, so that no beasts might stand before him. Neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand. But he did according to his will, and became great. Verse 5. And I, as I was considering, behold, an he-goat came from the west on the face of the whole earth, and touched not the ground. And the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. And he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing before the river, and ran unto him in the fury of his power. And I saw him come close unto the ram. And he was moved with choler against him, and smote the ram, and brake his two horns. And there was no power in the ram to stand before him. But he cast him down to the ground, and stamped upon him. And there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. Therefore the he-goat waxed very great. And when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And for it came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. And out of one of them, verse 9, came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great toward the south and toward the east and toward the pleasant land. And it waxed great, even to the host of heaven. And it cast down some of the host and of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. And he magnified himself even to the prince of the host. And by him the daily sacrifice was taken away. And the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Verse 12. And an host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression. And it cast down the truth to the ground. And it practiced and prospered. Then I heard one saint speaking to another saint, said unto certain saint, let me start over there. And I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, saint which spake How long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot. So that is the vision that Daniel saw. Now the interpretation of the vision is given from verses 15 down through verse 26. 
First of all, we're going to see that there was one speaking to Daniel in chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. Daniel 8, 15 and 16. It says, It came to pass when I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision and sought for the meaning. Then behold, there stood before me as the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Uli, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. We first of all see that the man's voice is above the canal. It's between the banks of the river. It's where he hears the voice coming from. Next we'll see that Gabriel is told to make him to understand the vision. There are only two angels of God that are named in the Bible, and those are Michael and Gabriel. And Daniel, and we'll give you the places where they're found. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 21, Daniel 9, 21, says, Yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation or sacrifice. In Daniel chapter 10, verse 21, Daniel 10, 21. But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth. There is none that holdeth with me in these things, but Michael your prince, referring to Michael the archangel. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, Daniel 12, 1, And at that time shall Michael stand up, and the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that same or at that time thy people shall be delivered every one that shall be found written in the book. So there's Michael and Gabriel both found in the book of Daniel. In Luke chapter one, look at verse nineteen. Luke chapter one verse nineteen. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee glad tidings. Now we do have angels that are mentioned that are not named. Here in Jesus, excuse me, Jesus, Jesus' birth, in chapter 1 of Matthew, it says here in verse 20, While he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream. So there are there is an unnamed angel there. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26, Luke 1, 26, it says, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Luke 1, 26. In the book of Jude, verse 9. Little book of Jude, verse 9. 
It says there, Yet Michael the archangel, when he, or when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. And then in Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels. So these are the places in the Bible where the only two angels of God that are named are found, and those are Michael and Gabriel. Now, in Daniel chapter 8, verses 17 through 19, we see Daniel's reaction. Daniel eight seventeen through 19. It says, So he came near where I stood, and when he came I was afraid, and fell upon my face. But he said unto me, Understand, O son of man, for at the time of the end shall be the vision. Now as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep on my face toward the ground, but he touched me and set me upright. First of all, we see there in verse 17, Daniel says, I was afraid. You think about God, uh, Daniel, he had been delivered by God many times, been delivered from, by God from those there in uh, Babylon. He would later on be delivered from the lion's den. But we see God had delivered him many times, yet he feared the messengers of God. Because we are mere mortal, are we not? And the messengers of God being angels. Then it also mentions there that the vision is for the time of the end. The time of the end. The end of end of indignation is what we're looking at there. Some say it is the end of the Old Testament period of worship when the New Testament was ushered in. Others say it is the cleansing of the temple, which was on December 25th and either 164 or 165 B.C. Now let's get to the vision. We keep reading here down through verse 19. Now, as he was speaking with me again, he set him up. Now, let's go to verse 20. I'm sorry. We need to go to verse 20. He says, The ram which thou sawest, having two horns, are the kings of Media and Persia. All right. The ram then corresponds to the bear that was raised up on its one side there in chapter 7. And the silver part, the silver chest there of the great image that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream in chapter 2. First of all, we see that these are the kings of Media, which would be Darius, and the king of Persia, which would be Cyrus. The Persian king, who stands at the head of his army, bore the head of a ram. The king of Persia also wore a jeweled ram's head of gold instead of a diadem, as we see on the pillars of Persepolis. 
Now we go back and we're going to read some more back of what we saw in the vision and tie these things together. First of all, we saw that the ram was pushing toward different directions in verse 4. I saw the ram pushing westward and northward and southward so that no beast might stand before him. Neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand, but he did according to his will and became great. So verse 4 said he was pushing toward the west. That would be Babylon, Syria, and Asia Minor. It would be pushing toward the north, Armenia, Iberia, and those that dwell on the Caspian Sea. And he would be pushing toward the south, Egypt, Ethiopia, and Libya. And no one could stand against the Persian Empire because it was so powerful. The Persian Empire was a vast empire. If you look at the Persian Empire on a map, it goes all the way from Thrace, which is over by Macedonia. In it is Lydia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Cappadocia, Armenia, Babylon, Libya, and Egypt. It goes all the way north to the Black Sea, the Caspian Sea, the Aral Sea goes off over into, down into Arabia and down to the Arabian Sea and then further west as well. It goes as far north as the Danube River. So it was a very vast empire. And the, there were five great kings of the Persian Empire who reigned from about 540 B.C to 525 B.C. Now let's go down and we'll give you a list of those. Cyrus was the first king. He reigned from 539 to 529 B.C. He conquered Babylon in 539 B.C. He allowed the Jews to return to Jerusalem in 536 B.C. He is mentioned 19 times in the Bible. He is found in the books of Second Chronicles, Ezra, Isaiah, and Daniel. The next great king is Cambyses. He reigned from 529 to 522 B.C. He is the Ahasuerus of Ezra chapter 4. He died on the way back from Egypt. Then we come to the third king and he is known as Pseudo-Smerdis. He was a usurper. He claimed to be Cambyses' brother brought back to life. He is the Artaxerxes of Ezra chapter 4 who stopped the rebuilding of the temple. We come then to Darius who reigned from 521 to 485 B.C. Darius is the one who authorized the completion of the temple in Jerusalem in Ezra chapter 6. Then we have Xerxes, X-E-R-X-E-S. He reigned from 485 to 465 B.C. He is the Ahasuerus of the book of Esther and Esther's husband. And then Artaxerxes who reigned from 465 to 425 B.C. Nehemiah served under him, and the wall of Jerusalem was rebuilt 
during the reign of Artaxerxes. Now after Artaxerxes there was a period of about a hundred years of insignificant Persian rulers. But those are the great five great kings there of the Persian Empire. Now in Daniel chapter 8 verses 21 and 22 we see the interpretation here of the he-goat or the male goat. Now I want to go back earlier in the chapter and let's read verse 5, 6, and 7. It says, And as I was considering, behold, a he-goat came from the west on the face of the whole earth, and he touched not the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. He came to the ram that had two horns, and I had seen standing before the river, and ran to him in the fury of his power. And I saw him come close unto the ram, and he was moved with chlor against him, and smote the ram, and brake his two horns, and there was no power in the ram to stand before him. But he cast him down to the ground, and stamped upon him, and there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. Okay, right there we see the male goat. Now let's see the interpretation in verses 21 and 22 of Daniel 8. It says here, Daniel 8:21, And the rough goat is the king of Grecia, and the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. Now we'll stop right there before we read verse 22. The first king, here the, ram, excuse me, the male goat, the Greeks were known as goat people some 200 years before Daniel's time, and the Greeks came from the west. The great horn is Alexander the Great. He began his conquest in 334 B.C. Now we noticed in Daniel 8:7 that he was moved with chlor against the ram. He was moved with chlor, which is bitterly angry and bitterly grieved. So he had a bitter anger against the Persian Empire, and he came against it. Now they believe the reason is that the Persian King Darius had tried to seduce Alexander's military captains with bribes, and he had even tried to get some of Alexander's closest friends to assassinate him. When Alexander became aware of Darius's plots, he was filled with hatred and rage, and would not stop until the Persian king was destroyed. It mentions there that back in the vision that he came across or came from the west on the face of the earth and touched not the ground. His army moved across the earth with great speed and little resistance. His first victory against the Persians was at the river Grancius, or excuse me, Granicus. His second victory came against the Persians was at Issus in 331 BC. In 330 BC, he burned the capital of the Persian Empire and completed the Persian conquest. Now I want to look at a few things about the attributes of Alexander the Great. It is said that at age 12, he rode a horse that nobody could ride, a big stallion called Bucephala. 
at age 16, he commanded his own division in a expedition, expedition there against Algeria, or Illyria. At age 18, he saved his father's life at the Battle of Chaeronea by defeating a top-notch regiment of Athenians. At age 20, he became Lord of Macedon and Greece. In 331, he defeated the Persians and became ruler of the world. It is said he would jump off his chariot going full speed, run along beside it, and jump back on. It is said he would fight lions with only one dagger. It is also stated that he walked 12 hours in chest-deep water to get the advantage over an enemy. But it also says he magnified himself exceedingly. And that is in verse 8. It says, therefore, the he-goat waxed very great. The American Standard Version says he magnified himself exceedingly. We look down in verse 21 again. It is first king there. And we'll notice in verse 22 other things happened. But that about magnifying himself exceedingly, Shortly before his death, Alexander ordered the Greek cities to worship him as a god. He died in Babylon in 323 B.C. at the age of 33 years. Now let's look at verse 22 of chapter 8. It says, Now that being broken, whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall stand out of the nation, but not in his power. Verse 8 tells us that the he-goat waxed very great, and when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And for it came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. The great horn being broken was the death of Alexander the Great, and then the four horns coming up, the four kingdoms that came up out of that, there were four of Alexander's generals who took over parts of the area that Alexander had conquered. General Cassander ruled over Greece and Macedonia. General Lysimachus ruled over Thrace and Bithynia. General Ptolemy ruled over Egypt. And General Seleucus ruled over Syria. So those are the four kingdoms that came up, but they were not as powerful as the kingdom of Alexander the Great was. Now when we come to Daniel chapter 8, verses 23 through 25, <clears throat> we see here the little horn. Now again, I want to go back to the vision in verse 9, first of all, and we will read there and go down through verse 12. Now this is the vision about this little horn. And out of one of them, out of one of the four horns, out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great toward the south and toward the east and toward the pleasant land. And it waxed great even to the host of heaven. 
and it cast down some of the host and of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down, and an host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression. And it cast down the truth to the ground, and it practiced and prospered. The word practice there means he did his own pleasure. Now let's go to the explanation in Daniel chapter 8, verses 23 to 25. Daniel 8, 23 to 25. It says, And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up, and his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper and practice or do his own pleasure, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. From out of the Seleucid kings in 175 B.C., there arose a man by the name of Antiochus IV. Josephus says, and I quote, And there would arise from their number a certain king who would make war on the Jewish nation and their laws, deprive them of the form of government based on these laws, spoil the temple, and prevent the sacrifices from being offered for three years. And these misfortunes our nation did, in fact, come to experience under Antiochus Epiphanes, just as Daniel many years before saw and wrote that they would happen, unquote. And Antiochus Epiphanes is Antiochus IV. Wilderant, in his work, The Life of Greece, wrote this, and I quote, Antiochus IV was both the most interesting and most erratic of his line, a rare mixture of intellect, insanity, and charm. He governed his kingdom ably despite a thousand injustices and absurdities. He allowed his delegates to abuse their power and gave his mistress authority over three cities. He was generous and cruel without judgment, often forgiving or condemning by whim, surprising simple folk with costly gifts and tossing money with a child's ecstasy among the crowds in the street. He loved wine, women, and art. He drank to excess. He left his royal seat at banquets to dance naked with entertainers or to carouse with wastrels. Unquote. So that gives us an idea about Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, they didn't give him the name Epiphanes. He gave it to himself. 
he called himself Epiphanes, which means the illustrious. The Jews called him Antiochus Epimenes, which means Antiochus the crazy one. Well, he defeated the Ptolemies in the south, Elimaeus and Armenia in the east, and he conquered Canaan, which is referred to there in the scriptures as the pleasant or glorious land. So that is what is mentioned there in verse 12. It says, A host was given him against the daily sacrifices by reason of transgression and cast it down to the ground and practiced and prospered. All right, I read the wrong verse. Verse 9. And out of one of them came forth a little horn which waxed great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the pleasant land. The American Standard Version says the glorious land. So that is a verse that refers to there. He brutally attacked Jerusalem, and he desecrated the temple. On December 25th, 167 or 168 B.C., he sacrificed a pig on the altar and flung swine broth all over the temple. He placed a statue of Jupiter, or Zeus, there in the temple and stopped the daily sacrifice to God through three years. He flung truth to the ground through his actions. And that's what we were looking at in verse 12. I was one verse ahead of myself says, a host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression and cast it to the truth to the ground and it practiced and prospered or it did its pleasure, setting up the temp statue of Zeus and flinging swine broth all over the temple, throwing truth to the ground. And he demanded that the Jews worship him just as the gods of Greece were worshipped instead of Jehovah God. S.R. Miller in his work Daniel stated this, and I quote, Antiochus' persecution of the Jews may be considered to have begun in 170 B.C. with the assassination of the high priest Onias III and terminated in 163 B.C. at his death, or even a few months earlier when the temple was rededicated in December of 164 B.C. During this period, he executed thousands of Jews who resisted his unfair regulations. In 169 B.C., after a humiliating experience in Egypt, when Antiochus was turned back by the Roman commander Popilius Leonis, the Syrian king, plundered the temple in Jerusalem, taking its treasures, including the furniture that was adorned with precious metals, and committed deeds of murder. Now these things are found, cross-reference to 1 Maccabees 1, 20-24, and 2 Maccabees 5, 1, and following. Now we need to remember that the books of Maccabees are not inspired but they do contain history. There may be some history that is embellished in parts of those, but they do have history. In 2 Maccabees 5, 11 to 14, these deeds of murder are said to have included the slaughter of 80,000 men, women, boys, and girls, even infants, 
by Antiochus soldiers during this attack upon Jerusalem, unquote. Antiochus eventually called himself this, Antiochus Theos Epiphanes, which means Antiochus the illustrious God. Coins during his reign have been found with this inscription, bearing testimony to the way Antiochus viewed himself. He was drunk with his own greatness. He was filled with arrogance and pride. And that's why we see here that he prospered. He prospered. He thought he was a god. And he is the one that mentions there in verse 23, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up, and his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy wonderfully, and we saw all the things that he did. And he really didn't conquer a lot of, whenever you go back and read about him, a lot of his conquering was done politically, not necessarily always as being with the army. So it was not of his own power. And he shall destroy the mighty and holy people. He was destroying the Jews there as we saw. Because of his actions, the revolt of the Maccabees took place. Exactly three years after Antiochus profaned the temple, Judas Maccabees recaptured Jerusalem and cleansed the temple. And again, that is December the 25th of either 164 or 165 B.C. It mentions here that there are the Jewish Festival of Lights, and we'll do this first. The Jewish Festival of Lights called Hanukkah is the celebration of this event. And we find that in John chapter 10, verse 22, that Jesus celebrated that festival. John chapter 10, verse 22 where it says, and it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple of Solomon's porch. The feast of the dedication refers to this time, whenever the temple was rededicated to God. So one thing that shows us is God will accept national holidays because Jesus went to the national holiday there of Hanukkah. Now I'm not talking about Easter. That's a religious holiday that God has never authorized us to observe. I am not talking about Christmas because the way the religious world views that. Now if we view Christmas as a national holiday, there's nothing wrong with that, but it is not a religious holiday. God nowhere authorized us to celebrate the birth of his son. Whenever we look here in Daniel chapter 8, I want to continue reading 
there in verse 25 and 26. It says there, Through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, which we've seen. And peace, or by peace shall destroy many. The word peace there, the American Standard Version, renders it in their security. It is said that Antiochus attacked the city of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, and the Jews would not fight back. Says he also shall stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. So he stood up against God, he called himself God, and yet human hands would have nothing to do with his death. It would be an act of God. It is claimed that Antiochus, after hearing that his statue of Jupiter had been cast out of the temple by the Jews, was so enraged that he vowed he would make Jerusalem a common burial place. But no sooner had he spoken these proud words that he was struck with an incurable plague. One commentator said his death was by worms and ulcers, just as Herod's death in Acts chapter 12. Whenever we look here in Daniel, it says that there was the command to Daniel, and also we see Daniel's illness. The command to Daniel and Daniel's illness. And that is in verses 26 and 27. It says in the vision of the evening and the morning which was told is true. Wherefore shut thou up the vision, it shall be for many days. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick certain days afterward, or six certain days. Afterward I rose up and did the king's business and I was astonished at the vision. But none understood it. None understood it. Daniel was commanded to keep the vision secret for now, though eventually he recorded it. The vision contained the downfall of the Persian Empire, which would show Daniel to commit treason, because we see that Alexander is shown to be in Jerusalem in this, or Alexander actually was shown this passage in Jerusalem whenever he came there. Alexander came to destroy the city of Jerusalem because they had sided with the Persian kings. And then the chief priest and the high priest went out and they met Alexander and they showed him Daniel chapter 8 and because of that they said, you know, you're the one who would destroy the Persian empire and because of that Jerusalem gained favor from Alexander the Great instead of being destroyed. So Daniel was told, told to shut this up for a while because it would be shown to be treason. It gets written in these symbols and things so that Daniel would be kept safe while he was there. Daniel was exhausted and sick for days. 
He was favored by God to see the future, but the vision was troubling to him. But just think about it. What kind of shape would, be, would we be in if God showed us the future? If we saw what was going to happen where we're at, how would that affect us? Now, I want to go to Acts chapter 12, where it talks about there the death of Herod. Acts chapter 12, since the one commentator said that the death of Antiochus Epiphanes was just like the death there of Herod. In Acts chapter 12, let's begin reading there in verse 20, and we will read down through verse 23 said, And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, but they came with one accord to him. And having made Blastus the king's chamberlain their friend, desired peace, because their country was nourished by the king's country. Verse 21, And upon a set day Herod arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne, and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a god and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory, and he was eaten of worms, and gave up the ghost. We again, in the book of Daniel, we see historical accuracy so precise. We look back, and it's history to us, we can see every detail from the book of Daniel, that Daniel that was in his future, and yet we see it as history. But also, we see God working throughout history to bring his son into the world and to establish his church. Such a great and powerful God demands and deserves our praise and adoration. Well, again, I hope you're enjoying this part of the book of Daniel. It is a very interesting part. It is a very, I don't know the words to use here. The word of God is inspired of God. And we see the past to us, history for us, but we see the future for Daniel whenever he saw this so accurate. The critics say it had to be written afterwards, but it was not. Thank you for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Byway Media by visiting us at bywaymedia.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we encourage you to please share this program, to like it on social media. Thank you for being with us today.